this week on Missions Today. And that's what happens when good soil gets the Word of God. It's not rocket science. They read it and they say, well, we can do this. And so it was in that moment that I said, this is the purest ministry I've ever seen in my life. This is just getting God's Word into the hands of people who are hungry to know Him. And when it's good soil, like Jesus says, you're not going to stop it. It's going to take off. Getting God's Word into good soil. That really is the focus of the ministry that we're highlighting this week. Hi, I'm Colin Lambert, and this is Missions Today from Resource Global. Dirk Smith is the Vice President of Eastern European Mission, or EEM. EEM's mission is to get God's Word into the hands of as many people as possible at little or no cost to them. Today, they're doing just that all over the world in over 30 countries and 20 plus languages. Imagine churches where 50 or 75 people are sharing just one or two Bibles. That's a prime location for EEM to do its work. And the result? People are reading, believing, and following the messages of Scripture, changing lives and communities. The Bible, they want everyone to get it. That's the topic this week on Missions Today. Hey, Dirk, thanks for being with us. Tell us a little bit more about your organization, EEM. Yeah, EEM started in 1961, so we've been around a little while. And it began with seven couples in their 20s, so uh, 20-somethings, if you can imagine that, who decided they were going to go preach and teach people about Jesus behind the Iron Curtain, as it was called back in the day when the Soviet Union was in power. And they got there, and they went to Vienna, they enrolled in graduate school, that gave them a visa to go behind the Iron Curtain. And when they got there, they realized, okay, this is an impossible task, because nobody has Bibles in their language. How do we teach them about Jesus? So that kind of turned the ministry on its head. So now today, we publish, print, and distribute Bibles and Bible-based materials, and we distribute them into 30-plus nations last year, 36 different countries, and in 20-plus languages last year, 25 different languages, all free of charge. So as I tell people, we're kind of the wholesaler working with all the retailers out there for free. So if somebody is – I mean, that's our only requirement is, hey, if you're asking for Bibles, they're not going on a shelf. They're not going in a drawer somewhere. They are going into somebody's hands because there's evangelistic work that's going on. So uh, really, Colin, we're in the parable of the sower business. And we're throwing seed on really good soil. That's great. Thank you for that. I think it's helpful for us to get a good understanding. And we're going to come back to EEM in just a moment and talk uh, more details about exactly how all of that works and some of the stories maybe you're hearing from those who are getting these Bibles and Bible materials. But I want to go to your story because folk stories are always kind of tied into the whole picture. And I'd love to hear a little bit of yours. Tell us a little bit about your growing up years. Uh, how'd you come to faith? Yeah, so uh, I was born in Philadelphia. And uh, I, I, was a, I was a preacher's kid or pastor's kid. I kind of grew up in the church, but uh, really didn't come to a strong faith, I would say, until I was in my 30s. Uh, so I grew up in New Jersey, graduated, you know, I was born in Philadelphia, grew up in South Jersey, graduated high school up there, came down south, went to a small private faith-based university. Married in 88. I got into into business, so I, I got into healthcare consulting pretty quickly out of out of college. 
and did that for about 11 years, started my own company, did that for a few years, got out of that and went to work for a management consulting firm back up in the Northeast, then got into nonprofit work. My alma mater called me and said, hey, we need help raising money. And I, my original thought, Colin, was who in their right mind wants to do that? And my wife and I, we prayed about it and we did. We went back and I got into fundraising, did that for about a seven, about seven years until EEM came knocking. And I thought, all right, this is why, God, you made me make this change. This was it. Because what is the downside of providing Bibles to people in their language who are asking for them who have never had one before? How do you say no to that? I mean, what is, where's the negative in this? And so now today, I really do, I get to use my operations, which I really, the, the consulting part of my brain, you know, for business operations added with uh, fundraising. I've got a great team. We've got a great, uh, very small staff. We keep our overhead extremely low. So it was, it was a circuitous route to get here. But uh, I tell people for the first time, I do not have a job. It's a calling. Uh, we're, we'll come back to that as well. I want to go back to a couple of things you shared. Being a PK, that always has its own challenges, and we've heard stories about that through the years. I won't uh, ask you to go deep into that, but you did say you didn't really find your true faith until your 30s. What what led you to that? What what kinds of things pushed you to finally make that official, if you will? Yeah, you know, life happens. And as you as you start to grow and you mature and you look around and you you experience some things. And um, I grew up in a somewhat of a sectarian mindset. You know, that was kind of my my background. And uh, as I started seeing Jesus in people and experiencing him in things around me and as as life got a little bit difficult, uh, you, you look for solid ground to stand down on. And uh, he was the constant. He was the absolute constant. He never changed. And, uh, but you know, Colin, I, it's, it's an everyday thing. I mean, I continue to grow as, as we all do, or we should, uh, I'm, I'm not arrived. I mean, I'm never going to arrive. I'm never going to get to a place where I go, man, I got God figured out. I got this thing whipped. I mean, I'm, I'm good. It's, um, life continues to happen. And it's through those difficult times in our lives. I think if we're honest with ourselves, if we hang on to Jesus, that's the challenge. If we hang on to Jesus, we look back at those times and we say, man, I grew. I grew deeper in my faith through that than anything else. So, so yeah, I think my 30s was just a, you know, married, I'm starting to have kids. You start looking at things more seriously and, and you really start looking at life and saying, what am I doing here? You know, what am I really doing here? What's this all about? Is it just this religiosity thing? Am I just going in to punch a clock or is it like scripture, and as you dive into scripture, you see, you know, Christians, it, they were called the way. Why? Because it was a way of living. It was a transformed life that was being viewed. So that that spoke to me. It's obvious that you had not planned to go into ministry uh, based on the what you shared, or at least not not-for-profit work, and that's a whole different realm. Talk for a moment about that transition from just working with a not-for-profit to actually what you've already said or kind of described as a calling, when did you feel that that really was what it was? You know, I would say it was very early on. <laughs> I I started with EEM and uh, my first trip to Eastern Europe, 
I was to Ukraine, as a matter of fact. And I made the brilliant decision, or I, I guess I, I agreed to the brilliant decision to make the trip in February. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm a Yankee and I, you know, I, I like the cold weather, but brother, I got to tell you, Ooh, that was cold. That was some cold I'd never experienced. So we get there and uh, there's these two little ladies. The, the person that was hosting us said, hey, there's these two sisters who got their first Bible from EEM and they really want to meet you. Now, this goes down, Colin, I will tell you, this goes down as the two dumbest questions I've ever asked. And and so uh, I'll share with you. So we get there and they live in this tall called building, you know, apartment building. It's very, very communist looking, just very plain. And as, as luck would have it, the elevator was not working and they lived on the ninth floor. So we schlep up nine floors, you know, we get all the way up to the ninth floor and we walk into this extremely modest, it's, it's just, it's one room. There's two beds over on one side on the right and a little tiny kitchen kitchen area and the I jokingly say the stove you probably could get it you probably could have gotten a Cornish hen in there I'm not sure you could have gotten much else it was so small two burners but I could smell as soon as we walked in I could smell this unbelievably good smell I mean they were cooking and they were cooking borscht so as we walk in there's potatoes there's turnips there's beets there's all this stuff and they are cooking away this gigantic pot is sitting on these two burners and one is already done. It's on the ground. And they're cooking this other one. So I walk in. I'm thinking, what is happening here? We introduced ourselves. And, and I said, what, what are we doing? And they said, well, we're, we're cooking borscht. And I said, oh, okay. For who? And they said, for the poor people. And kind of my thought was, you are the poor people. What are you talking about? Who's poorer than you? And they said, um, yeah, so we, we, put this together, our, our faith community, some people buy the potatoes, some people buy the turnips, and our job is to make the borscht. And I said, that's great. And I said, well, what, what got you started doing this? Dumb question number one. She looks at my translator and she says, isn't this the guy that brings us Bibles? And my translator tells me that. And I said, yeah. She says, well, ask him, doesn't he read it? And I'm like, oh my gosh. I said, yes, I do. And she said, well, Jesus tells us to do this. Why would we not? I'm like, wow, okay. So we take these pots down the steps. They, they would, would you help us? We said, yes. We take them down nine flights of steps. We put them in their little car, pack them up. They said, hey, you want to go with us? To, you know, And I said, yeah. How far? It's about three blocks. We couldn't fit in the car, so we walked three blocks. We get there. And Colin, there are homeless people everywhere. And I mean, they open up this car, and they got their little table, and they get these pots out, and they start dishing out this borscht. And uh, I went up to one of them, and I said, Dumb question number two, how often do you do this? She says, how often do you like to eat? I said, well, every day. She looked at me like, well, idiot, every day. And I said, wow, unbelievable. And that's what happens when good soil gets the word of God. It's not rocket science. They read it and they say, well, we can do this. And so it was in that moment that I said, this is the purest ministry I've ever seen in my life. This is just getting God's word into the hands of people who are hungry to know him. And when it's good soil, like Jesus says, you're not going to stop it. It's going to take off. 
you can't hold it back. That's a beautiful story. Despite the two dumb questions, a beautiful story. <laughs> and uh, yeah, wow. Uh, let's talk a little more about EEM specifically. You talked about, you know, handing out Bibles and resources. Uh, what does it look like? How how does the Bible printing process work? What kind of resources do you make available? How's it distributed? I mean, any of that kind of thing you can share just to give us a, an idea of the day-to-day -day work of EEM. One thing that I make very clear is we are not a Bible translator. There are lots of people out there doing great Bible translation. We uh, we work with all the different translators. We work with Biblica. We work with Wycliffe. We work with, you know, all the Bible societies. There are Bible societies literally all over the world. The International Bible Society is a great organization that we work with. So we were a publisher because oftentimes you get a Bible society and they've got books, but they're they're selling them. And the market that we're in, they're not going to buy a Bible. I mean, these are an entry Bible. This is for somebody who's a seeker. And the cost of a Bible for them is, I mean, they got to give up food. They got to give up a lot. I mean, they're very expensive. So, yeah, that we, we also believe in creating economy. So when we're distributing, let's say, in Ukraine, we're printing in Ukraine. We put their people to work. So when we're, you know, when we're in Croatia, Serbia, we're printing in that area. You know, we're we're printing and putting their people to work. So we we firmly believe in creating economy and providing and, and benefiting their their economy. So it, it also keeps our costs down because we don't have to pay import tax. We we're dedicated to a very quality product. Most everything we do is is hardback. We do some paperback only when they request it. But um, you know, requests come in. And it's all requests. Everything is, is based off requests. And we vet the requests. We, we kind of know the people who, who are asking and we find out where it's going and what they're doing. But Colin, I will tell you, it's, it's the perfect storm. We've seen our distribution grow exponentially each year. But last year, in one year alone, now if I were a for-profit organization, I would have every, I would have every equity firm lining up and saying, we need to buy this. This is incredible. Because last year, our distribution grew 28% in one year. Now, as I tell our team, I refuse to believe in a God who's going to open up the doors over there and not open the storehouses up over here. So in very godlike fashion, we had a 26% increase in our giving last year. But we, we distributed last year, right, just, just under 2 million books. And like I said, into 36 different countries, 20, 25 different languages. And, and again, the distribution process is, um, you know, we're not using FedEx and DHL and, and those very expensive, you know, we, we will use uh, trucking companies and we will truck them to a, to a location that we need to, but then people will come and get them and, and they'll do the distribution. We use a lot of partners, a lot, a lot of partners on the ground who, um, who who jump in and get involved in in the process as well? I'm kind of thinking uh, two different uh, trains of thought right now. I want to uh, ask about engagement with the local church and do they help do this? But I'm also thinking back to what you said about where EEM started, which was uh, at the time of the Soviet Union. Are there places where you're getting Bibles where it's difficult to get Bibles into? Yes, and uh, that's about all I'll say. That's about all. I'll say about that is yes, uh, there are places that uh, that we have to be very clandestine in how we do it, working with partners who are doing a great job 
and getting getting books into into some places. But yeah, it's it's a it's a challenge at, at times, but uh, it's amazing watching God open doors. You know, doors that we never thought would happen. For your listening audience, one of the things, and I know there'll be some mouths to drop open on this, but um, this is this is just reality. About ten years ago, we got the first request from the nation of Ukraine, and uh, a regional minister of education came to our people and said, we've heard about you and we need Bibles for our public schools. We thought, tell us about that. How's that working? And they said, well, we have an elective that we teach called Christian ethics. It's an elective, not required, but uh, 90 plus percent of the students take the class. And it's kind of hard to teach Christian ethics without Bibles. So we went in and we met with this group of people. And I'll never forget this meeting. I mean, we had Orthodox, we had Evangelical, we had, I mean, just every stripe and color <laughs> in there, every every label. And uh, they all said, we've realized if we want to change the face of our nation back to a Christian biblical worldview, we're going to do it with our children. That's where it's going to happen. And we have to set aside all of our differences, all of our icons, all of our traditions. And we have to just go back to the Bible and teach the Bible. But we need Bibles. And we said, if that's what you want to do, we're your people. We'll sign on. Well, Colin, before the war broke out, we put Bibles in over three-fourths of the public schools in the nation of Ukraine. And they've, it's expanded because they've looked, and not all of their leadership are believers, but where they teach the Bible, the test scores go up and the discipline problems go down. So they're pragmatic. They're like, well... This works. So why why not do this? So that has spread, and there are nations that are watching them. So this war that's going on is very much a spiritual war. They don't understand this term, but we do. They're like the Bible belt for Europe. They truly are the Bible belt for Europe. Croatia, in the last three years, we've now put over a million children's Bibles into the public schools in Croatia, in Bosnia, and Herzegovina, North Macedonia. We did a. We had to split the project in half for North Macedonia. Last year we did 225,000. This year we're finishing the other 225,000 for their public schools. It's happening in Romania, Bulgaria. I mean, it's it's crazy what we're seeing. But what we're seeing over there too. And I was just there May 1st to 13th, uh, 13 days, five different countries. And every meeting I had, I'd walk away. And either I was saying it in my head or they said it there, John 17. This is Jesus's prayer of unity. You see people coming together, unified around God's word. And Colin, the momentum that happens. You know, when we read that passage in Jesus' Jesus's prayer, he says, God, make them one. Why? It's, it's the why that we have to focus on. Why make them one? So that they the non-believers will know, will know that you sent me, that I am the Messiah, that I am your son. So I have to ask myself, if that's what unity does, what does disunity do? What is disunity showing? I got to believe it's the opposite. And the power that we're seeing over there, man, it is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful, the unity. Amazing that, that you have the opportunity to get these books into uh, public school systems, and boy, it is going to change uh, the way 
young people behave and ultimately those who become adults. So that's that's fabulous news and something we can even be praying about, put it on our prayer lists. Local churches, I assume there are local churches around the world that need Bibles. I mean, you hear about underground churches, you hear about churches that just have one Bible that's shared by, you know, many people. I'm sure the local church often needs those as well. Am I correct in that? Yes, and that's where a lot of these are going. We are distributing, I'll tell you one story in Bulgaria. One of our people was in Bulgaria and he was asked to speak at a at a church gathering. So his contact and he, he got there and it was on a Sunday morning, a beautiful group of people. I mean, a, a room he said that should have comfortably fit about 50, and there's about 75 or 80 people packed in this room. And he gets up to speak and he decides he's going to speak on 1 Corinthians 13, you know, and that's what he's going to talk about. He was going to use that as his as his foundational passage. And so he says, let's all turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'm going to read, you know, this first section, and then we'll go back and we'll we'll talk about this. And he said, everybody gets up. And at first he thought, oh. Okay, well, they're going to stand for the reading of God's word. Okay, that's that's respect. But then they start moving towards the front, and they're moving like towards the front right side. Well, that's where the door was. And he thought, they're le- where are they going? Where are they all going? There was one lady sitting all the way at the front, and they all gathered around her. And the one Bible, the one Bible that they had, now, this happened two years ago, Colin, two years ago. She holds that Bible up. She turns to 1 Corinthians 13. She holds it up so that everybody can read. And he looks over and he says, is this the only Bible? And they said, yeah. He said, how many do you need? I mean, he made the call immediately and said, I need 150. I need 150 Bibles right now. We got to ship them here. And they sent pictures back. (laughs) You want to get emotional? You you see people get a Bible for the first time, their own. They've never had one, never had one in their language. And they're holding it up and they're just sending thank you. And they're hugging it just like, oh, we can't even believe this is real. You, We had this. I can take this home with me. I mean, this is, this is two years ago, man. I mean, we are so spoiled in this country. I got every translation under the sun. But the challenge is in some of these countries, there's one, two, maybe three translations at most in the entire language. So it is, yeah, yes, these are going to churches. Churches are distributing them. Uh, The amount of work that we're seeing happen. And again, the unity that's taking place right now, the underground church in, uh, I say underground, you know, in in Ukraine, you know, church buildings have been a lot of them destroyed. Uh, so they're meeting in houses, they're meeting in bunkers, and uh, we've gotten amazing pictures, stories, you know, from people with regard to that and their distribution. Our distribution in the Ukrainian language last year went up forty percent just in that one language. Well, it's incredible to see and hear what God is doing around the world, and it's obvious there is a, a craving in many nations for for His Word and for copies of His Word and resources that will help. I know that is always uh, a need. So what an incredible uh, organization to be able to work for that makes these things available. Dirk, in our final moments, what are you all praying for? How can we pray for you and your team for the coming months and, and years? Well, I think first and foremost, pray for peace. Pray for peace in this horrific war. I mean, it's just, uh, I don't know why it's dropped out of the headline of the news and why it's gotten political. I just, you know, that that bothers me. 
I mean, these are lives that are being destroyed and, and the recent bombing of the dam. Uh, there are a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of people hurting. So pray for peace. Uh, pray, pray too. I mean, we are limited by funds, even though God provided a 26% increase. We had a 28% increase last year in distribution. We're running 10% ahead of that this year already. And, uh, it's, which is a great problem to have. I mean, it's a wonderful problem to have, but, um, we tend to be the best kept secret because we are the wholesaler. You know, we're working with the retailers so people can go and they can learn about us at eem.org. Uh, just eem.org. And uh, also, if they want to learn more, we have a podcast. We, too, have a podcast called The 5511. Uh, it's just 55 colon 11 after Isaiah 5511. And it's on Spotify and, and anywhere. It's also on YouTube. But um, we, we covet people's prayers for boldness, for our commitment to move when God opens doors. Because we never know how long that door is going to be open. And so we have to move quickly. So we we pray for boldness. We pray for agility. Pray for the ability to to work in areas that sometimes don't make sense. Well, it may not make sense to the human mind, but to the spiritual mind, it makes all the sense in the world. Whether taking God's word to open countries or closed, EEM is making an impact in the lives of those who receive his word day in and day out. To learn more about Dirk or EEM, be sure to check out today's podcast notes. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we're going to hear from a woman who planned to be on the mission field short term, just a couple of years or less. That short term turned into almost two decades. It's so helpful if you'd subscribe to the podcast, rate it, leave a review on iTunes, share it with others. All of that's so helpful to us, and we would much appreciate it. I'd love to hear from you as well. Email me, clambert at missionstoday.com. Missions Today is a production of Resource Global. We'll see you next week.